This is the Jail Ministry Podcast. The J-A-I-L, or Jesus Acts and Inmates Lives Ministry, is Christ-centered and provides programs focused on the prevention and intervention for the incarcerated. Jail Ministry also provides support to offenders, criminal justice professionals, victims, and their families. Thank you for your continued financial assistance. For more information, visit jailmen.org. Now, here's today's lesson. Welcome to Jail Ministry today. We are glad that you are with us. In the next half an hour, we are going to do uh, a lesson on salvation. Now, we're going to pick up where we left off before, and we have been talking about essential doctrines. And I'm doing this because it has come up in the last several months and doing Bible study with other ladies and individuals and I've been quizzing them, well, what are essential doctrines of the Christian faith? Well, we know that end times teaching isn't one of those, but the Trinity is. And I think it is smart of us as Christians to know what essential doctrines are. What do we believe as a Christian? When I say that I am a Christian, what do I believe? And what is essential to being a Christian? Now, I know that there are some of you out there who may not be a Christian, and you're just listening just to figure out what's going on. And that's fine. We encourage you to stay with us and listen. I would also encourage you to get a Bible, because we are all about the Bible here at Jail Ministry. And so, we want you reading God's Word for yourself. God's Word is God's absolute authority about Himself, His character, His nature. And we know God, and we talked about the Trinity in a previous lesson, that He is the essence, He's one, but He's three distinct persons. And it is a mystery. So let's dig a little bit deeper, and I want to talk about Christian doctrine. Now, I had one person that I was talking to say, well, I don't, I, don't, I don't really get into doctrine. And I'm like, if you're reading the Bible, then you're getting into doctrine, or you should be getting into doctrine. Can you tell me what you believe and why you believe what you believe? So, let's talk about, now, the purpose of Christian doctrine is not to divide. I'm going to make that very clear. But is to unite the church Christ is the head of his church. The Pope is not the head of the church. I want to make that very clear. And by the way, there are other religions that teach differently. And I'm not here to bash those other religions, but I'm here to, to help you understand, for us to be good Bereans and understand what God says about himself. So there are times it might be necessary to separate over fundamental, essential doctrines, faith, and practice. While we are on this side of heaven, we need to keep this in mind, there will always be differences between us. And we understand that we're unique. Therefore, we must learn to walk in humility and mercy towards all people. That's why I always say I do love people from different religions, even though I may disagree with them. But one of the most loving things that we do here at Jail Ministry is to tell people the truth. I mean, I can give you food. I can play good music. 
But if you're heading to the edge of the cliff and I don't tell you to turn around, you're going to walk off the edge of the cliff, then I haven't loved you. So we're here to tell you about life and death and God and how God saves a sinner. So fundamental, uh, fundamental doctrines that define Christianity. And I believe that we need to be able to defend these. So we not only need to know what they are, we need to know how to defend them as well. So some of these that we have talked about, let me talk about just a few of those that we have talked about in the past. We've talked about the authority of Scripture, the authority of the Bible. The Scriptures are the inspired, infallible, and absolute authority in every matter of faith and practice. We talked about the Trinity. There is one true God. And He exists in three distinct and equal persons. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We're going to be talking about the universality of sin. We'll talk about the incarnation of God. We're going to talk about the death of Christ. We'll talk about the resurrection of Christ Jesus. And today we're going to talk about salvation by faith. We'll also talk about the Holy Spirit, the second coming, and heaven and hell. And of course that's probably my, my favorite one. So, let's talk about salvation. Now, my go-to verse, and if you have your Bible, let's go there. This is one of my first scripture memory verses, and we're going to go to Ephesians 2, chapter 2. And I realize that some of you may not be familiar with the Bible yet. We have in the Bible, the Word of God, we have what we call the Old Testament. And then we also have the New Testament. And the New Testament starts with the book of Matthew. There are four Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We have what we call epistles or letters written by the Apostle Paul. We have the, the book of Revelation written by the Apostle John. So we have the book of Ephesians that I'm going to quote right now. And then I'm going to give you some other verses so that I send you home with some, some homework. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, For by grace are you saved through faith. And this not of yourself. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest you boast about it. That pretty much sums up salvation in one verse. Right there, Ephesians 2, 8, 9. So I want to ask you some questions to get you thinking about salvation. What do I mean by salvation? What is that? I mean, what am I saved from? And who does the saving? And do I need saving? Most people that I evangelize, a lot of them don't believe that they need saving. Mm -mm, no. And if they do, they believe that they can save themselves by their good works. Well, we just read, not of works, lest you boast about it. Thinking that our good works will save us is like giving God a dollar to let us into heaven. In other religions, I call them works-based religions, and there's lots of those isms out there. Okay, They're works-based. You have to do something in order to go to heaven, in order to be saved. you got to give alms. you got to do penance. you got to repeat this prayer. Okay, Something like that. Okay? 
we're going to learn that the Bible teaches that salvation is through grace alone, through faith alone, through Christ alone. This is very important because it's essential to our Christian faith. So let's start here. What are we saved from? Hmm. That's very interesting because I remember praying, God save me from myself. Mm -hmm. I do remember that back in 1986. And I came to realize, well, what am I saved from? And there's, there's more to this life. There's more to what's after this life. So I know that when I die, and I am going to die, 10 out of 10 people die, right? My body goes back to the ground, the dust. But you and I have a soul. And that soul lives forever. Now, in this life, we are born into sin, for all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death. There you go. That's why 10 out of 10 people die. So, what are we saved from? Now, in the Christian doctrine of salvation, we need to understand this. We are saved, and there's going to be the word here that you may not like, okay? I get that. We are saved from the wrath of God. In the Bible, the Bible teaches that God is a God of love, but He's also a God of wrath. And there are different, wonderful attributes to God. We need to understand this. And the wrath, what do I mean by wrath? We know that God's wrath was poured out on Jesus when He was on the cross. For who? For the sinner. So that is, it means that God's judgment of sin. We are separated from God because of our sin. And we have a nature to sin. Now, you're like, well, where do you get this? Well, you might start, take some notes. Romans 5, verse 9. And 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 9. Our sin has separated us from God. Now, it's very interesting because when my son was young, I think he was about two years old, I didn't have to teach him how to sin. He already knew how to do that, and you could do it quite well. Think of yourself right now. Now, you may have been influenced by somebody else, but did anybody really teach you how to sin? No, they didn't teach me how to sin. I knew how to sin, and I knew it, how to sin very well. I was really good at it. Are you good? Are you really good at sinning? Because I know I was. So it separates us from God. And the consequence of sin is death. And that's in Romans 6.23. Biblical salvation refers to our deliverance. When I say that word deliverance, I always remember how God delivered his people out of Egypt through Moses. So it refers to a deliverance from the consequences of sin and therefore involves the removal of sin. We are saved from both the power and the penalty of sin. The Bible says in 1 John 1, 9, If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I was talking with an individual uh, a gentleman of a different religion, works-based religion. And I was trying to explain this concept to him. And I asked him, I said, you know, it was around a religious holiday, and I said, you wash your feet, you wash your hands, you wash your body, but when you 
die, how do you wash your heart? He's like, what? I'm like, your heart. The Bible says, our word says our hearts are desperately wicked. How are you going to wash your heart of sin? Can you do it? No, you can't. I couldn't do it. But oh, that burden. It's like having a wet wool blanket over my head that was suffocating me with my past sins. And thinking, what do I do about my future sins? What will this do to me when I face God on Judgment Day? So, what are we saved from? The wrath of God. The Bible teaches that we are at enmity with God when you are unsaved. Your good works are as filthy rags, thinking that your good works will save you. They won't. And you're like, the wrath of God? What do you mean? And what do you mean by sin? Are you calling me a sinner? Yeah, we're called sinners. And you can't separate the sinner from the sin. I've heard somebody say one time, well, God loves the sinner, but he hates the sin. I was like, where is that in the Bible? It's not in there. It talks about us, our sin, as a sinner. And you're like, well, what are you talking about? I'm talking about the Ten Commandments that are on your heart. God put them there for a reason. To bring a knowledge of sin. To prick your conscience. In fact, conscience means with knowledge. So that when you sin, you do so with knowledge that one day you're going to die and God's going to judge you. I'm not going to judge you. God does that and he does it very well. I'm going to go a little deeper. You're like, well, what do you mean? What sins? Well, I know I've made mistakes in my life. I've, I've you know, done some sins, but I'm cleaning up my act. Are you sitting there right now thinking I've cleaned up my act and I'm a pretty good person? Because the Bible says there's no one good, no, not one. No one seeks after God. No one understands. Hmm. That's what the Bible says. The Ten Commandments that are on your heart... God's put them there. And it's interesting because when we're unsaved, it says in Ezekiel that our hearts are made of stone. When you study the Bible, you understand that God gave the Ten Commandments and He wrote them on what? Stone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, our hearts are likened to stone. But He says, I'll take your heart of stone away and I'll give you a heart of flesh. God does that. He says, I'll give you a new heart and a new mind. And He tells us to renew our mind with the Word. So when I talk about sin, I don't make light of sin. And these are not like speed bumps that we go over. If I tell one lie, oh, it's just a little lie, you know. No. I tell one lie, I am a liar. Plain and simple. If I murder one person, I am a murderer. But Jesus said this. You've heard it said of old, you shall not murder. But I say when I hate someone, call him Raka, a fool... I'm guilty of murder where? In my heart. Because God sees what? God sees your heart. He sees my heart. Same thing with adultery. He said, you shall not commit adultery. Hmm. Seventh commandment. But Jesus went deep sea diving when he said, you've heard it said of old, you should not commit adultery. But I say to you, when a man looks upon a woman to lust, men and women both do this, Think of how many times a day that you've done this. 
fornication, sex out of marriage. I met a man one time. He said, well, I won't get married because then I could have an adultery. I'm like, what? Then you don't understand adultery. Because Jesus said when you're looking at a woman with lust, you've already committed adultery in your heart. That's what the word says. Ninth commandment says you shall not bear false witness. It means you shall not lie. You tell one lie, you're a liar. Commandment says you shall not steal. How many of you stolen something before? Now, I've, I've wrestled with some people over this. You know, like, well, you know, when I was a kid. Okay, God doesn't forget the sins of my youth. I hope he doesn't. Stealing can be meaning taking something that doesn't belong to you. Did you ever cheat on a test in school? That's stealing somebody's answers. So I'm getting you to think about your sin. Go back in Exodus 20 and read those Ten Commandments that are on your heart. And God gives you a conscience to know right from wrong. Isn't it interesting that He does that? And then what do we do in society? We try to take the Ten Commandments out of society, out of schools. But they're still there. Now what do we do? We suppress the truth and more sin. That's what Romans 1 says. So the wrath of God, because we're enemies of God, this is important to understand, rightly so, can be poured out on the sinner. The wrath of God was poured out on Christ Jesus on the cross for my sin. He laid down his life for those who are his but yet we were enemies of His. I want you to understand that God is a God of love, but He's also a God of wrath. And He doesn't like it when you and I sin. He hates sin so much that it separates us from God. Now, who does the saving? And we've talked about this a little bit. Only God can remove sin and deliver you and me from sin's penalty. And this is in 2 Timothy 1.9 as well as Titus chapter 3 verse 5. It is only God. Do you depend on yourself to save you in that day of judgment? Because there is coming a day of judgment. It's appointed for man once to die and then comes judgment. There it is. That's another truth. This is so important to understand that only God can do this. You cannot do this. If you think that your good works will get you into heaven, I'm going to ask you a question. How many good works are you going to have to do? A million? Two million? Five million? Because I'm telling you, it'll never be enough. Only the God of the Scriptures. He is the only one. All the other gods are deaf and dumb. Only the God of the Scriptures can save anyone. And he made a way to save the sinner. Mm -hmm. His way, not your way. This is very important to understand. This is why it's important for us to read God's word and know who God is. So how does God save? This is where I want to get to. This is the good part. In the Christian doctrine of salvation, God has rescued us, meaning the Christian, not every single person, 
He has rescued us through Christ Jesus. Where do I get this? Okay, let's go here. John 3, 16, 17, and 18. And there's lots of verses that we're going to talk about. How does God save? And this is probably the most quoted today. So John 3, 16, 17, and 18. In John 3, John was called the Beloved. He was a disciple of Jesus. And you probably heard this before, but I'm going to read it for you. It says, For God so loved the world. Now I want to say this too. The world in scripture has different meanings. This doesn't mean every single person in the world. Okay? For God so loved the world that he gave, I love that world, he gave his only begotten son that whomsoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Now, I want to point this out too. The word whomsoever in English is a real easy word. Whomsoever, whoever, soever. In the Greek, it translates to every believing one. Okay? But for English, it's much easier to say whomsoever. Every believing one shall not perish but have everlasting life. Will be saved. He goes on to say, He who believes in him is not condemned, because remember, we're condemned already, folks, because of our sin. Is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already. You see that? We're condemned already. Because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, that the light has come into the world, and men loved darkness rather than the light, because their deeds were evil. Now, a lot of people just like to quote John 3.16. I like to go to 17 and 18. Here are some others. How does God save? And Acts. Love the book of Acts. Acts 4.12. Might want to write that down. Go back and read it. Says this, quote, Salvation. There's that word, salvation. We know who we're saved. What we're saved from. The wrath of God. And who does the saving. Salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Who is that? That's Jesus. That's Christ. That's the Messiah who was foretold, prophesied throughout the Old Testament. We see this first picture in Genesis chapter 3. The seed the seed to come. Here's another one. John chapter 14 verse 6. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Now that's profound, just enough. You could do a whole sermon just on that right there. I am the way, I am the truth, and the life. There is life after this life here, folks. This is not it. Your soul will live forever. Think of where you will be in a hundred years. You'll be either in heaven or hell. There's no purgatory. It says here, no one comes to the Father except through me. Now, either Jesus was lying or he was telling the truth. He cannot lie. God is immutable. He does not change. And Jesus is God. That's the Trinity. If you deny that Jesus is God in the flesh, you will die in your sins and you will go to hell. Here's another one. I love this verse. 
it corresponds with John chapter 3 when Jesus tells a religious leader you must be born again and this religious leader didn't get it he was thinking flesh not spirit well it corresponds John chapter 3 corresponds with a very important verse and it's in Titus chapter 3 and I'm going to read it you go to Hebrews and just back up a little bit it says this for we ourselves were also once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. But when the kindness and the love of God, our Savior, there's a Trinity, toward man appeared, that's Jesus, not by works of righteousness which we have done, not a good works, but according to what? His mercy, he saved us through the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Spirit. There's the water and the Spirit. Now, I've heard some really weird stuff about the water thing. Unless a man be born of what? Water and the Spirit? Okay, I've heard some weird stuff. It explains it. The Bible a lot of times describes and explains for us what we need to understand. If we just read his word. It says the washing of regeneration. Remember what I talked about. The washing of the heart. The washing away of sin. God does this through Jesus. And what Jesus did in his atonement on the cross. How do I know that? Because I have the receipt. The resurrection. That he did what he said he's going to do. Here's another one. <coughs> Matthew chapter 19 verse 25 and 26. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished and asked, Who then can be saved? Now we know that a rich young ruler ran up to Jesus and said, Good teacher, good teacher, what must I do to be saved? And Jesus gave that man at least five of the Ten Commandments, and then he came back with the essence of the first and the second. And that man went away sad. The disciples are like, Well, well then, who, who can be saved? It's a great question, isn't it? Jesus looked at them and said, With man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. I love this verse. There's many more when you read the Bible that talks about salvation. But I do want to say this. Salvation is through grace alone, through faith alone, through Christ alone. There is no other way given to mankind under heaven. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through him. Most salvation was always and is dependent on God and Christ alone. I think as a Christian, it's easy sometimes to focus exclusively on my past sins, my now sins. But for other religions, it's really difficult for them to understand those future sins. And I'm thinking of one particular religion in particular right now. I just can't comprehend that. But that's what the Bible teaches. My past sins, my now sins, and my future sins are forgiven forever. Now, do I still sin? Yes, I still sin. I fall into sin. I do. Man, let me tell you, when I sin, I feel it. I know it. My conscience pricks me. And I don't chase after sin anymore like jumping into a swimming pool. Now, in the past tense, we have been saved. And we have been delivered from the penalty of sin. 
do you know this salvation? Do you know that your sins are forgiven? I'll never forget that moment when I was saved. I thought I was drowning in my sin. I'll never forget it. On my face, before God, trying to hide. And the next day, I wanted to run around and tell everyone about my salvation. And no one wanted to hear it. And we find that sometimes in jail ministry. But I realize, you know what? It's not about the masses of people. There's great rejoicing in heaven over that one repentant sinner. Do you need to repent of your sins today? See, I know that through salvation, I have been redeemed. I love that word, redeemed. It just sounds like I'm clean. And I am. I've been made clean. Have you been made clean through Jesus alone? I've been redeemed, and that means Ephesians 1.7. I've been reconciled. That's Romans 5.10. I've been justified by Christ. That's Romans 3.21-26. I've been forgiven all of my sins. Lying, murdering, hating, stealing, lusting, you name it. All of them have been forgiven. That's Acts 13.38. And I've been adopted. That's Romans 8.15. Through faith in Christ's atoning work, His work, not my own, His sacrifice and His glorious resurrection, salvation is accomplished. It's finished. It's complete. Jesus said, it's finished. It's done. You can't add one good work to what he did on the cross. It's done. We want you to know this salvation. I'm going to say what Jesus said. He said, repent and believe. God commands all men everywhere to repent. Repent of your sins. Turn away from them. Put your trust and faith in Jesus alone. And he offers salvation. So until next time, we'll see you back here. Goodbye.